it only takes 25% of people to make a giant change in the world. It only took 25% of people to start recycling for recycling to become ubiquitous. Deep down in your gut, you know there's more to life than waking up for school or work, going through the motions just to get by, and living for the weekend. But you're still scared and uncertain about what your true purpose in life is. Welcome to the Free Time Podcast, your very own community and virtual support group created to help you leverage your free time as a valuable asset so you can start to improve your mindset, learn self-empowerment skills, and ultimately find true fulfillment to move you towards the incredible life that was specifically created for you to live. This is more than a podcast dropping three episodes a week. This is a movement built around real people sharing real stories focused on helping you make the most of your life by becoming super intentional with your time. Brought to you by your host, Carl Sona. Now, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement. We're on a mission to build a movement here around the topics of self-empowerment, mental health, and personal fulfillment. These are all some really big topics that we all deal with as human beings, but also they're topics that will look a little different for each of us as individuals. And so I'd love to put a name with the face and learn more about who you are and where you are currently along your journey. So I'm super excited to announce that I'm offering free 15-minute Zoom phone calls with me in order for us to get better acquainted. If you're at all interested in this, please hit the link to my calendar in the show notes below to sign up for a time, and I'll see you there. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our episode today. Lisa, welcome to the Free Time Podcast. How are you doing today? Very good, very good. How are you, Carl? I'm fantastic. I'm so happy to have you on. It's great to see your smiling face again. I was just thinking, um, you and I got connected, like, I think, three weeks ago, is it now? I think time so, flies. yeah. Three weeks? I don't know. I, it seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah, at Pete Vargas's event, um, the stage execution event. And I remember like seeing you a couple times, like, you know, walking by or rotating through the different sessions. But it wasn't until like the last that we actually had a full on conversation. And I don't know what it was about you. I don't know. You have this cool aura, nice, nice <laughs> energy that just made me go like, whoa, pull this young lady over, figure out what she's about. You know, I don't know. It's just a general curiosity. And so come to find out, we got a chance to talk and you know, you're this incredible founder of Ever Widening Circles, which we'll get to here shortly. You know, yeah, you're yeah. this awesome, creative with your photography, all these amazing things that you're doing. Really what like struck me by you is that you're a young person that is creating the kind of world that, you know, you want to live in. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle because we're living in times that are quite tumultuous and scary and all these different things. But like you're out there like being a cause and agent for change. So I just want to, you know, take a quick moment before we dive into acknowledge you for that and just say I'm really inspired by that from you. Well, thank so, you. Thank you. Um, I, on my end, just quickly, like I've been like the conversation that we had that day has really been like flowing through my head. So I'm really excited that we did get to connect there right at the end. I know. It's just so nice to like, you know, go beyond the surface and like tap into like a greater frequency. And that's what I felt with you. So hopefully yeah. we'll get some of that out today. But before we kind of talk about all the exciting things that you're doing, I'm so excited to hear, you know, what you guys are doing over at Everwhiting Circle and EWC and all these great things. Talk to us about where it all started for you. You seem to be a little bit, of, and I don't know you well, but you seem to be a little bit of like a eccentric character, kind of a jack of all trades. How did you grow up? You know, how did you become that way? Was it imposed in the household? Is this just how Lisa came out the womb? Um, it's a little both. Um, no, I grew up in a really cool household. So my siblings best describe it as like our house when you walk in is like half like the Adams family, half like, (laughs) like Harry Potter kind of. So I grew up in a very creative household. My mom is uh, one of the co-founders of ever widening circles, uh, sort of the, the lifeblood behind it. And, you know, I grew up in a house where my mom would be in the back welding giant metal sculptures. And my sister was off in the woods, like playing, you know, like, uh, elves and I was allowed to just roam free with my camera and do whatever I wanted and grew up like very much in the woods. We raised baby moose that were um, orphaned when I was little. I have a very (laughs) weird childhood when I explain to people, they're like, wait a minute, there's moose. I was like, yeah, we raised moose. But then at the same time, we were like 
doing this and that. And so I grew up in this household of just like a lot of creativity, a lot of being outdoors, a lot of PBS, a lot of NPR. Like I grew up in a house that was very much um, not into pop culture. I didn't understand pop culture at all until I was like much older. We didn't have orange cheese. I still find that fascinating. So I just grew up in this like really eclectic household where my parents are both dentists, but they're also, my dad was a professional basketball player and my mom was an Olympic class swimmer oh, wow. and my, both my parents are giant nature nerds. So I grew up in this like very eclectic household where we were allowed to just be curious, explore stuff, you know, be interested in science, know a lot about nature. Like, you know, I thought for a long time that PBS Nova documentaries were like movies. So yeah, I just grew up in this very funny household of like a lot of science, a lot of art, a lot of like nutsy things. Yeah. So definitely had an odd upbringing compared to most kids. That's incredible. I don't know about you, but you know, kids can kind of be tough, you know, you know, that age from like, let's say, I don't know, six years old to 10, anything mm-hmm. different is just like weird. It's gross. You know, you're, you're pretty much exiled, you know, you're socially exiled. Was it difficult? Sort of, and I don't know what life was like in Vermont when you weren't in your home, but was it difficult brokering life at home? Because <laughs> like, you know, crazy cool environment where like it's normal to you, but as you talk about in like the more secular world, you know, maybe people aren't raising moose and, you know, yeah. eating cheeses that aren't orange. Like was that, yeah. was that tough sort of like, you know, walking that line and balancing those two lives or yeah, I mean, try being a weirdo who's also like nearly six feet tall in fourth grade and like a hundred pounds heavier than every boy. Um, yeah, being a chubby tall kid who's also a weirdo is not always the easiest upbringing. I for sure had to balance those things. So there's a lot of birthday parties I didn't get invited to as a kid because I was odd oh, or um, a lot of things. No. You know, I went to I went to Catholic school. Um, not for any religious reasons. It just happened to be the best education in the area. It turned out that I learned a lot about religion from that. And that really influenced my appreciation of lots of different religious philosophy, which I think is really important to who I am today. But I did grow up in a place where it was very like girls would carry around their coach bags that they just put pencils in. They would leave the price tag on. And I had like the zippery bag with like all the zippers on it that my stuff was constantly falling out of. And my parents did a really good job from an early age being like, weird is not bad. Weird means that you are unique. You have space to play around with who you are. And I naturally sort of was a leader for like a lot of the weirdos in our class. Um, I look back now and I think of where a lot of those people are today. And I think I was sort of this, like in grade school and high school, high school, I went to public school, but everywhere I kind of had like a little group of weirdos or a nerd herd with me. And, um, just a lot of different people from lots of backgrounds that were kind of ostracized in some way were like all around me. I mean, it didn't help when yeah. I was little, I would like sing to myself on the playground by myself. Like that isn't going to help me get invited to play unicorns with the other girls. But I think that there was a lot of my parents being incredibly supportive when we would come home and my sister got bullied a lot too. And, you know, coming home crying and our parents being like, listen, you're six feet tall, but that makes you the most powerful person in any room you walk into, no matter if mm. you're a boy or a girl you're weird now, but when you get older, you're going to be able to talk to adults like no one else. It may seem odd that we're not letting you watch PG-13 movies, but it's important that you protect your brain. And also here's a book, you know, I don't think I was mad at it even when I was younger, maybe just like not being able to go to sleepovers because I couldn't watch PG-13 movies, but I don't think I was mad at it at the time. And my parents did a really great job of navigating us through that world. I really appreciate that they said, listen, we're going to have odd little weirdo kids and we're going to help yeah. them through that as well as, as best possible. Yeah. And I will say I was privileged to be athletic. And so when I did get to high school, that kind of weirdo thing went away because I was smart and athletic, which meant that I could kind of blend with a different group and have a different echelon. Um, mm. you know, I wasn't just like the weirdo in the corner. Being able to play ball like kind of helped me find out who I was and gain my confidence. And so then I was able to be all those things, still be sort of an odd, smart kid. And then at the same time, be able to have a little bit of confidence because I guess in high school, sports are king. So that was kind of a good thing for me to be able to navigate. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It sounds like your parents were an incredible sounding board for you, which, you know, I I wish every kid had that growing up in the household. Unfortunately, that's just not the truth. But, you know, you can only imagine what a better world we'd be living in if everybody was allowed to be 
who they were because as that little 70-year-old scared kid, they embraced it and they were actually encouraged to like step mm-hmm. into that and you know, mm-hmm. be u- uniquely them versus trying to fit a mold that as time goes on is no longer sustainable because you, you outgrow right. it. But like here you mm-hmm. are trying to like, it's kind of like being like overweight, yeah. trying to, you know, squeeze into like size 28. Like it just, it doesn't look good, baby. Like let it yeah, go. Yeah, no. And I think, I think too, like people, I think we spend so much time when we're younger being like, I'm going to fit into this mold. But then we get to this particular age where we're like, I need to find out who I am. But if you let kids play around and be interested in bugs, not squish those loves and those things, you get kids who are then 18, 19, 20, who know who they are. And Mm -hmm. we haven't like, you know, beat them to like into this mold. They already know what it's like to be a little bit outside the mold and Mm -hmm. they've been able to learn to express themselves earlier. And so I really appreciate that my mom and my dad were not just good at doing that for their kids. If we brought over a friend who was kind of odd, they would do a really great job nurturing them. My parents are just like very much like nurturing people and they would go to the mat if there's a kid in school that was not getting the right sort of privileges that they needed to be getting for whatever reason. My mom would go to the mat for like perfectly random strangers. So I grew up with a very strong sense of if you have a place of privilege, if you're lucky enough to be fortunate enough to have a voice, you need to be able to fight for people who either may not know to advocate for themselves or can't advocate for themselves. Wow. So talk to me about like teenage Liesl. So you're in high school, you know, I'm, I'm hearing these things of sort of fitting different molds and having different interests and advocating for the downtrodden. What was like the first time, maybe like around high school where you felt you were called upon to take a stand for something that you had noticed and you're like, you know what, like here's an opportunity for me to exercise all the incredible like morals and values that have been instilled with me from my childhood as you were pivoting into like young adulthood. What was that like? Was there a specific moment that stands out? You know, what was going through your being? Yeah. So I started out high school sort of odd. So going from Catholic school where you literally are not exposed to anything, like I didn't even know like the street words for drugs and I sound like an idiot now saying street words for drugs, but anyway, um, I, you know, I didn't know anything. I was really naive, but I came into high school and sort of immediately found my voice. I became really confident. You know, all of a sudden I was like the good basketball player who was the freshman. I was in all the smart classes, all these things and, um, developed like a really great group of friends, you know, in grade school, people would get up and move to a different table. If I sat down, when I sat down at a table in high school, people would come sit next to me. So like, it was a weird world that we, you go girl. Yeah. Uh, and then I, and then I was like, I'm too busy. I got to work during lunch. But yeah, the moment that I think for me really hit me hard was probably about junior year. Like I'd been an advocate. I'd been leader in my class, freshman, sophomore year, but junior year, I had the opportunity, I guess it was sophomore year because it was going into junior. We had this problem at our school where we didn't have weighted grades. So it was this issue of, kids who were taking AP classes, but maybe were getting Bs, even though they could have gotten A pluses in regular level classes, were being penalized for pushing themselves. And that just didn't seem right because when it came to college app time, kids were getting money based on their class rank. And so it was this ridiculous thing where if kids pushed themselves, they'd actually end up getting less money to go to college. It was ridiculous. And there was just no good argument for it. And meanwhile, I'm also sitting here saying, listen, it also benefits the kids that want to push themselves at all levels. We're kind of rewarding mediocrity here. And so I just kind of got on the warpath. I became the student representative to our school board. I became like a big advocate for education. I think that's when I sort of my spark got turned on for education and the importance Mm -hmm. of educating kids at all levels and figuring out what level of education is important to each student and also how do we reward kids best for doing their best in a way that doesn't just reward mediocrity. It also says like, we're not asking you to be mediocre. We're asking you to be your best self and we want to figure out a way to reward that. And if you're not going to college, that's fine. The world needs tradespeople. You know, college is not the answer for everyone. If you are doing your best in those mid-level classes, that's totally fine. You are doing your best and that's important. But I really remember I, I lost a lot of friends and gained a lot of friends through that process of advocating for my fellow students on the school board. 
and nothing got passed, but it was a great lesson in diplomacy. It was a great lesson in how school boards work. It was a great lesson in education and it really fired up my passion for education. I think at a very young age Mm -hmm. and access to education at a very young age. Yeah, absolutely. I can see in her body language, you know, you reliving kind of that tale that you just shared with yeah, me. Yeah. Incredible story. And I, I can tell that there's a fire within you for education. So, you know, you graduate high school, you go on to Harvard. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive there. Before I, I kind of get into some of the questions I have, I, w- I want to know, and this is kind of taking a little bit of a segue, what's the biggest okay. misconception of going to Harvard? What's the biggest misconception that like, people wouldn't typically you know, call the question off the top of the brain. <laughs> oh, that we're like really smart and we have all of our stuff together. Like we don't. And <laughs> nobody there thinks that they should be there. Like there's this huge, I think, misconception. My brother says it all the time. He'll be like, oh, my sister went to Harvard. And then I'm over there in overalls and a sports bra, like hauling, you know, brush. And he's like, you're a Harvard kid. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a Harvard kid. Like that doesn't mean that I'm like posh or like not willing to do the work you know, my very good friends were all people who were incredibly diverse and had incredibly interesting backgrounds. They weren't all waspy and they, I don't think any of us knew what we were doing. We were all stressed out and not the smartest one in the room all the time. So I think a big misconception is what the look of Harvard is and that we all, you know, uh, have our stuff together and we're just Mm. 18 year olds like anybody else. It's, we just happen to, in the, ponds that we were in have been the fish that were the biggest, you know, and, and we all get <laughs> the same, same very turbulent ocean and have to find our way through. So that's interesting. So in grade school, you were kind of this little guppy to kind of use your analogy of fish. Yeah. You blossomed lovely in, in high school, you know, you're learning diplomacy, you're taking, you know, stance for what you believe in, you become this awesome advocate, pivoting into college. Did you start at the bottom of the totem pole again, or was it a fairly easy transition? What was that like with having to make that third pivot and again, a new environment that yeah. pushed you one way or the other? That's a good question. I think it was, I felt very medium fish. So I was really fortunate <laughs> to go into Harvard with parents that like sat me down and they were like, listen, you are not going to be like the other kids there. I think they assumed that everybody was like very, very smart. Not that they thought I wasn't smart, but later on they were like, if you had pulled like basic C's, we would have been really proud of you. And I was like, thanks. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, I ended up doing pretty well. But I, I went into Harvard, I think differently than a lot of kids. You know, a lot of kids go in there and they're like, I'm going to get all A's, I'm going to do this. And I went in and I was like, listen, y'all are smarter than me. Y'all can work way harder than me. I do not have the bandwidth to go in there and sit in, you know, the, the library for hours. And my dad particularly was like, listen, Liesl, you're never going to go study for seven hours. You know that. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're never going to be able to compete with these people. So don't compete with them. And that was the best piece of advice that I got because Harvard is a place of competition and people I think live and, and especially die by being so competitive. I mean, I would go to study groups where it was literally just like people trying to psych each other out about oh how worried God. they were about yeah. like an upcoming exam. It was, it was just ridiculous. I mean, I played the game too, but like, <laughs> you have to. I, I'm not, I won't be better than that. I know that I did it, but you know, yeah. it was this ridiculous place of like, who's got the upper hand, who can seem the most chill about the 18 page paper coming up that we were all freaking out about. But for some reason, like, everybody's oh, yeah, flexing. Even everybody's flexing. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure which I don't even know is a term we used back then, but whatever. Um, uh, hi-ho. Um, but, but like, yeah, I think I went into Harvard being like, I'm not the best fish, but I'm not the worst fish. We're going back to fishes. And I think for me, it was really important. I had gone there. I wanted to play basketball. I blew out my knee, so I didn't end up playing. But I went and I rode my first year, and that was a great experience in learning time management and prioritizing sleep and all sorts of things. And so for me, it was like super, super good to go in with a structure. And I think that I didn't really find a voice. My back went out, so I had to quit crew. But my, I would say that by my like junior and senior year, I had not really found what I wanted to do, but I had found a niche that I felt really comfortable in and connected with a group of people that I felt really comfortable with. And so I wouldn't say that I like came out of Harvard being like, I'm going to go take over the world. But I very much found a group of people that I appreciated. I loved, I could work with 
who gave me a broader perspective on the world. So I don't think I like came out of Harvard, like a lot of people, not a lot. It's a very small amount. Um, like some people do just like ready to go to law school. Right. You know, I think that Harvard was like a good place to like, give me an ego check and say, okay, like what is privilege? What are people coming up against? It's time to get your sort of academic rigor and mentality up. It was like a really good space for me to learn and grow as a person to become more mature at the end. Not that I left at all mature, but that's also working progress. Ego check. Yeah, for sure. Now, what I'm hearing from that, that's, that's a pretty cool story, is like this, this sort of like, you know, underlying sentiment of just staying in your own lane, right? Mm-hmm. And just sort of being mm-hmm. willing to come in with the right expectations that are expectations that you put upon yourself. Mm-hmm. Not expectations given, you know, people that went to Harvard 200 years ago that you feel like you need to live up to right. or parents' expectations or whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's something beautiful about being able to just have that sort of, you know, unidimensional conversation with yourself and say, all right, like, here's what we feel is right for us. You know, like you said, not the smartest, mm-hmm. not, not the worst, but here's where we are. We're going to go in here and just do what we can do. You know what I mean? Just right, focus on right. us. and. And, and, and that's something that I'm really wanting to help more people understand is there's just mm-hmm. so much noise out there, you know, both sure. internal and external. And, you know, it, we can't help but, like, not hear it because our subconscious is constantly, like, you know, grabbing on this nonsense like, like a magnet. But yeah. I'm, just, I'm just so, like, enthralled and sort of taken by the power that people can harness when they just take some time for themselves to sit quietly and really get in tune with their intuition, which I kind of call a guiding compass, like an internal mm-hmm. light that has all the answers within you to help you sell yourself out, tune out all the nonsense and figure out what you should be doing and where you should be placing your attention. Are there mm-hmm. any practical tips or any actionables that you would offer to somebody that's just struggling with, you know, hushing up the noise and figuring out what is true and right for them? If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I do. I think yeah. that um, to turn on, I guess, the internal light or something like that, I think you have to, maybe I think of it more in like a meal sense, right? Like if, if I'm trying to make myself the perfect mental meal, right? I have to know what ingredients are out there in order to put them together for what's best to nourish me right now, right? So I think like reading books that people thought were old philosophical classics. I think of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I think of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I think of, you know, these ones that were sort of my parents' generation of like favorite books. Read that, then go read, like start with why, then go read, you know, all of these bits and pieces of both sort of what might seem like abstract, like, you know, books, like read things that challenge you a little bit or listen to whoever you absorb best but read the whole book. Don't just listen to the podcast episode of it, you know, like find out what calls to you because, you know, I think a great moment that I remember was I'd read Jonathan Livingston Siegel when I was very young. It's my parents' favorite book. It's by Richard Bach. It's a classic. And it's the kind of book anybody who's like thinking of themselves as sort of an outsider needs to read. I had read that book and it resonated with me, but not a lot. And then I remember after the Sandy Hook shooting, I just like was distraught. It was my sophomore year of college. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. And I just sat down and I read that book again. And I think that moment was like a weird moment of like, this gave me a little bit of grounding. You know, I'm not a religious person. So I needed some kind of like philosophical guidance through that moment. And I think that if you want something actionable, go read philosophy, read a lot of philosophy, read philosophy of different kinds, read it from different religions, read it from different cultures. If you want to like put together the best meal for whatever most is most nutritious and whatever crisis you're facing, you got to have a lot of stuff in your head that you can pull from in any given moment. And it's not easy. It takes work and it takes time and it's not overnight, but like go read, go be open to like lots of things. That's what I can say is like most helpful when you find yourself forgetting who you are is if you have moments to sit down and be quiet with yourself and think about the things that you've read or the things that resonate most with you because it's been like turned on by something you've read. I think that's super critical to being able to manage the toughest times. Yeah, no, I love that you uh, offer that suggestion. A few years ago, I was sort of hitting a plateau in life where I was questioning 
You know, what is the purpose? What am I here to do? Like, I just don't see the meaning. And that was a piece of actionable advice that my cousin, who's near and dear to my heart, she offered me. And I think I read a book by um, Tony C. He's the founder mm-hmm. of Zappos, mm-hmm. uh, Discovering Happiness. And, and, and that all of a sudden took me out of my own mind. You know, you're just yeah. trapped in, in the funk, in the haze, there's confusion, mental fog. It's just so nice to be able to read something as you're suggesting that, you know, creates a whole new neural pathways for you to potentially go down. And before you know it, you're in a state of flow and, you know, you're thirsting and craving for more because you've nourished that part of you that's been literally like desolate. So yeah, no, I will say there was a period of time where I like after college where I just really wasn't nourishing my intellectual abilities. And luckily I made good friends with somebody who really pushed me intellectually and since then, I feel like my business has been better. My mental health has been better. My physical health mm-hmm. has been better. I mean, there's a lot to be yeah. said for, you know, if you are somebody with a busy mind, which I think all of us are, you have to keep yourself yeah. intellectually nourished or you start to sort of downward spiral yeah. or, you know, find yourself feeling really lost. If you're feeling yeah. lost, you need something to grab onto. And that's not going to come out of just like scrambling around. That's going to be coming from, you know, talking to people, getting knowledge absorbing a little bit of wisdom here and there and really sitting with it. It's not just going to come from a five minute podcast. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Why is it that you think, because I've noticed this too, a lot of the audience are young professionals. You know, they're probably a couple years, three years out of school in some sort of Mm -hmm. career or entrepreneurship venture. Why do you think there's such a commonality with young professionals that are just getting out of school, no longer really pushing themselves on the intellectual landscape of things is it because you know we've identified our entire lives as students like read this textbook and memorize these charts and regurgitate it on a test that like we're we're just like you know our mental capacity is spent is it that we're not interested is it that you know time management is an issue with transition in the real world where we no longer know how to prioritize education what's your opinion on that i'm just curious because i've noticed in myself and i noticed in the audience that listens yeah from what they tell yeah I think that it's a little bit of all those things. So I think it's, we're not forced to read anymore or forced to pretend to read. I don't think I read anything in college. But I think what it is, is when you're outside of college, it's really hard to make intellectual friends, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's really easy to make friends in your climbing group or in your interests, whatever it is, art council, whatever it is that you choose to spend your free time in. But it's really hard to find a group of people who are, intellectual. I think in college, whether or not it's super intellectual, you're still in a space of learning, right? Every day you're getting pushed a little bit and you live with people who, you know, even if it's just complaining about the reading you had to do, you're still talking about the reading you had to do. And so I think when we graduate and then we're all of a sudden in the work world, very often our work friends aren't the people we want to be talking intellectual things with, right? Maybe we have different interests. And then same too, just because you love climbing doesn't mean that you have the same intellectual pursuits as the people you're climbing with. And I think if we lack a space for intellectual pursuits, we lack people to bounce ideas off of and we lack people to like grow with or that push us to grow or that challenge us on bad arguments, right? One of the big things is just like it's really hard to make friends when you move to a new city, it's even harder to make intellectual friends who, because it takes trust to be able to be like, I'm going to call you on that. Like, I don't think that's a premise that makes sense, right? But if I live with my best friends in college, we can call each other on those kind of dumb ideas that we just threw out there. But like, you don't do that to a new friend. You don't, you don't do that. You you takes trust. And if you are out in the working world in a new place with, you know, not with old friends, it's hard to find those people who can match you intellectually and push you a little bit to like grow. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, new friends are going to be like, great job. Let's keep being friends. They're not going to be like, I don't know. You're not really clarifying your argument very well. Or, (laughs) you know, I think that you're whining about X, Y, and Z is kind of silly. Can't you just do something about it? Right. Like (laughs) go read a book, you know, no, no new friend is going to tell you that. I mean, I might, but you know, (laughs) and that's why, that's why I like you. That's why I like you. And, Honestly, you know, that's where we could really be best served if there was an opportunity for us to, you know, regain this safe zone that we had when we were kids, where mm-hmm. you could be on the playground and be intellectually curious about whatever and approach, I don't know, Sally over there in her jumpsuit doing hopscotch and be like, Sally, what do you think about this rock? Is it like, you know, metamorphosis or is it from 
I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Whatever random science lesson we're learning, but like we've we've lost that as we've gotten older because everybody wants to be seen as a sophisticated adult. But yeah, right. when having sophisticated conversations, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know counterintuitive. I don't know, yeah. and I struggle with that too because I'm a person that like I'm yearning for that, and I feel awkward mm-hmm. sometimes when I catch myself going down that that rabbit hole, and people aren't willing to come with me. So yeah, I, you know. I, I think this is all about being willing to stay true to yourself and, you know, being willing to go first. And if people don't want to engage, they want to engage, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, if that's something you really wanted to do, I would encourage you to, you know, put that out right. there because right. you might find more and more people that are also yearning for the same thing. Yeah, you know? no, I think don't be afraid of having deep conversations with people. And I think back to like when like coffee shops were like really, really important for intellectuals, I think in Europe and in England, right? Like in the tea shop store and they would get together and they'd have symposiums and like things that challenge them mentally. I mean, like, it's kind of weird to say, but like, if you're a young person, go to like the weird thing that's happening over at your library, the like, you know, offer that's coming to talk, go push yourself to places where people who are asking intellectual questions are going. I mean, you may not become best friends with them, but that could lead to one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. And, you know, push yourself to be cultured and you'll start to find yourself connecting with more people who push you to be more cultured, right? Like I think it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of the time, our boredom, our time spent alone with our own brains, all those kind of things, when we're not mentally challenged, we start to go down rabbit holes that are not exactly healthy or productive is probably a better word I would say productive. So like force yourself sometimes to get a little outside of your intellectual comfort zone, just like with training or with any kind of physical activity, right? Do it a little bit and you'll keep getting better at it and you'll start to connect with people who can help you along the way. Love it. Love it. Well, I want to switch gears here a little bit because I, I want, I want the audience to learn a little bit about what lights you up. You know, this is the free time podcast. Really. It's a show that is designed to sort of open up conversations with young leaders that are out there that are really being intentional about life, you know, finding purpose, coming to know themselves in their free time and, and going out and taking action. And so your current conquest, everything you're doing with ever, you know, ever widening circles really has got my interest because there's so much shit going on right now around yeah. you. So if you don't mind, I want you to sort of talk about how you got started with ever widening circles and you know, what really your mission is with that initiative and uh, where you hope to take that longer term? Yeah, so Everwinding Circles is a media company that is on a mission to change the negative dialogue about the world. We started, I guess, like five years ago now, almost six. Wow. Um, my mom is a lifelong dentist. Um, she actually started Everwinding Circles. So she's been a lifelong dentist and she noticed that her patients are becoming more and more distraught with the state of the world. She was having young kids email her from like foxholes in Afghanistan and be like, Dr. Linda, firstly, why they were emailing their dentist. I don't know. Um, that's the kind of people my <laughs> parents are. Like I was saying, they're very nurturing people. Um, but yeah. they're like, Dr. Linda, hi, I see this terrible world. Please tell me there's something better. And at the time wow. she didn't have anything. She could send her top 10 TED talks, but that was it. And then she herself had this profound moment where she woke up to like, one more terrible beheading story on the news at six o'clock in the morning. And she's like, that's it. I've lived around the world. I've traveled around the world to like really dangerous, scary places by most people's standards. And this is not the world that I know. I need to find some place that is talking about the progress and the goodness happening in the world. So she went online. She couldn't find any place that wasn't super political or there wasn't like pop-up ads happening every second or didn't have some religious tie-in. She wanted someplace like super middle of the road on all counts. And there just was nothing. And so my mom being my mom and a dentist who could barely access her own Facebook feed was like, I will start my own (laughs) website. I was in college at the time, really cynical college student. I was like, all right, mom, with your positive news website, like get out of here. Like the world (laughs) is so crappy. This is untrue. And so I can't say that I was the most helpful person to her for like first two years of her getting this thing off the ground. But After I graduated from college, as one does from Harvard with no job, no job prospects, no nothing. I didn't know what I was doing. She needed help with the site. And I asked her, I said, is this the thing you want to retire to? And she was like, yes. And I go, okay, well then firstly, you need a real site. So I started helping her with the design of the site. At that point, we were writing every day and she just couldn't keep up with the writing load. So I felt bad and I was like, fine, I'll step in and help. I'll write this cool article about whales. 
And then she sort of, I think this is her long-term plan. She goes, hey, Liesl, I had this meeting with a teacher who really wants to use ever-widening circles in the classroom. Why don't you just come to this meeting with me? And at that point, I had this harebrained scheme to move to Nashville. I don't really know what I was thinking. But I went to this meeting with this educator, and he talked about how he couldn't have any teachable moments in the classroom anymore because the news at this point... And remember, this was, this was like 2015. It wasn't even where we are today. His students either knew it was happening on one end of the political spectrum or the other, or what was happening on social media. And so he couldn't even be like, hey, let's learn science because the International Space Station exists. The kids are just looking yeah. at him like, what's that? And so that really caught my attention, you know, this piece of education. How do we get kids to know what's out there in the world? And so that got me hooked with Ever Widening Circles. I started working on our education platform at that point. I started writing. I found that I loved the sort of technical piece of running an online business, running a website. I loved getting AdWords out there and doing the statistics and all that kind of stuff. And writing, I've always been a writer. And so it just happened that like this happened to be a thing that perfectly matched with all of my skills that I had throughout a lifetime of work. So then I've now, since 2015, been working with mom on the website She's sort of the big picture person. I'm the one who's like, let's get into education. Let's get into healthcare. Here's how we're going to do it. And then, you know, keeping the writing schedule going. And now we publish every other day and we were growing. We're almost 2 million people around the world. Absolutely. I mean, you guys are literally changing the landscape of like what we like digest on a day to day. And for anybody that, you know, feels like they need a little dose of positivity, it's everwideningcircles.com, right? Yeah. Right, and right. So like you when you throw a pebble in a pond and the ripples. I love, it. I love the. Yeah, it's the whole ripple effect, right? And yeah, like we, exactly. We can all be an agent for you know, sort of like the change or the world that we want to see, and that's really what I love about it. I was listening to a podcast, um, Sophia Bush, who's a huge advocate. I don't know if you follow any of her stuff, and Lewis Howes, and she was mm-hmm. talking about how she really believes that it's going to take every single person to do their part. You know, every single person was put here for a purpose. Every single person needs to tap into their unique gift, you know, no matter how small they may feel it is, no matter how trivial they may feel it is, and do their part in order to create this ripple change. And so that's kind of what I see from you guys. And I just love it. I really do. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important to note too, that like there's, who did it? World Economic Forum did a study where it only takes 25% of people to make a giant change in the world. It only took 25% of people to start recycling for recycling to become ubiquitous. You know, wow. if we want to make real change in the world, only 25% of us have to be like, yeah, I'm not going to use straws anymore. You know, like <laughs> we don't have to get 100% of the population. They'll follow, but we just need 25% of people to care um, yeah. about topics. And then we can start to make realistic change. And I think that's really a great thing to know because it doesn't let us get into a sense of future fatalism. You know, if we know that if we can just get 25% of people to care about a particular topic, you know, it makes me want to do better for the future. I don't think the world is going to fall apart anymore. And it changes the way I behave on a daily basis. Um, So that's like an important thing to know is like, we don't even need a hundred percent. We just need 25% of people to care and the rest will follow. Literally, literally. I mean, you know, everybody out there that's concerned about their social media followings, let's say you have 20 friends, that's five people. Five people that, you know, you've got a voice you can potentially influence by Mm -hmm. just opening up your mouth and talking about whatever is in your heart or mind, literally. And then to your point, being willing to show up and just to do it consistently. I mean, people that are feeling lost or scared or not really sure of what their place is in this world, be willing to sit with yourself, you know, sit with those emotions. I think there's actually a lot of uh, therapy to be taken from that, you know, by Mm -hmm. just processing and not trying to be avoidant. And then sift through what lights you up, you know, and and Mm -hmm. be willing to like what you were saying earlier, go out there and just try some different things, you know, with regard to trying to get in the flow and given enough time and given enough persistence, you will find that thing. And I would just encourage anybody to go out there and just talk about what's on their mind and talk, you know, from an open and honest place. There's so much power there. There really is. I think one of the great things about ever widening circles is like not something that I intended to say, but ever widening circles is like a really great place to go and like explore a lot of different things to find the thing that you're passionate about. You know, like one day we'll write an article about how seaweed is reducing methane from cow burps. And the next day we'll feature somebody who is talking about how to be more confident on the TED stage. The next day we'll feature somebody, an artist that's just doing something just mind-blowingly incredible or the guy that's saving the rainforest by putting old cell phones up. 
to detect when loggers are coming in. I mean, if you want a place where you can get little doses of like the greatness happening in the world, not even the goodness, the greatness, yeah. like writing circles, I don't want to say it changed my life, but it definitely turned me from a super cynical Harvard driven person to somebody who now looks at the world with possibility. I look at my students' faces with ever widening circles education, EWC ed, and we go in and we, we teach kids about what's possible in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what our whole set is about. We curate video content for educators to use. And, um, you know, we'll go into these classrooms and kids' jaws will drop at something as simple yeah. as the International Space Station or, yeah. you know, the history of London or all these things. And like kids get so excited about it. They don't, they have this void. They have this need to fill their brains with something bigger. They want more. And then here we go. We're giving them like, here's this amoeba that never dies, you know? And all of a sudden it's like their brain just explodes and they're opened up to a whole new world of possibility. And I think we can still have that same feeling as adults. And I think the Everwriting Circle is a great place to just like go. We have a like random button like it, it just takes you a random article to go hit that button until something like turns you on like yeah. there's a lot out there to explore and like i'm not saying we're the end all be all but we're a great place if you just want to like go get excited about something but you don't know what that thing is yet i love that i love it it kind of sounds like a treasure chest of just goodness like you don't know yeah. what you're gonna stumble onto like just like you know reach your hand in and grab this today and then that tomorrow and mm-hmm. and, and, and that's how like you end up like opening up your mind to like things that you couldn't even fathom that potentially, mm-hmm. you know, shed more light as to who you are, and what mm-hmm. your interests are, where your giftedness mm-hmm. lies. So I love right. that. Do y'all have an app? I'm curious. Is there like an app that they can download? to like, we're working like on the app. Time feed? Okay. Yeah. That's so coming. we're working on the app. Um, right now you can subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get an email whenever we publish. Yeah. Sorry, you can subscribe either to our newsletter or to our email uh, that notifies you whenever we publish, um, which is every other day. Um, or we have a Friday email that goes awesome. out with a whole roundup. But yeah, so we're working on the app. I'm excited for the app to come out. That'll probably be a couple months down the line, but eventually we'll have an app. Well, we're coming up on the end of time here. There's a couple more questions on the top of my mind that I want to be sure to get out of you. So I'm just curious. People always tend to underestimate how much they can do in a given amount of time. You know, Mm -hmm. it it sounds like it's definitely no small feat for your mom to realize what was going on with, you know, the disparity of the world to say, all right, like this is something I want to grow. And five years later, you guys are reaching millions of people. I'm just curious, you know, and now it sounds like you have an education platform too, which is incredible that you're Mm -hmm. actually getting these young minds before they have the chance to, you know, be altered one way or the other. But what's like one of like your biggest accomplishments that going in, you thought, oh man, there's no way I'm going to pull this off. This is going to take so much time or it's going to take so much of me or I don't have the skill set, but that through consistent action, you actually were able to achieve or execute on in a relatively quick amount of time. I don't know if there's anything like that that you can share with the audience. Because yeah. a lot of them are getting overwhelmed to the point where they're paralyzed because that thing seems so big and so mm-hmm. far away. Well, I'd first say like take it in pieces. So I would say our most recent project is one that is exactly this. Education, I knew I could do, right? I'd done it in college. I'd done it in high school. But we're working on right now getting video content into hospitals and settings and waiting rooms instead of having the news blaring or the, you know, scary weather or the midday soap opera, we're putting together curating short form documentary that's uplifting, that has messages that are in line with what the hospital wants in their waiting room. And that's a world that I was really afraid of going into. I'm not in healthcare. I'm not a salesperson. I am not someone that tends to be good at like brokering deals. And I'm like, I used to be terrible at phone calls. You just described me by the way. (laughs) so like all these things that I was like I can't do which is not something that I say very often I was like well I guess I have to do it and so we made our first call to our first creator to ask him if they were on board and he was like yeah this is the coolest idea I want to be a part of this I'll just send over my reel and we were like oh okay we don't have to sign a contract no I'm just going to send it over called the second guys hey do you want to be a part of this yeah totally suddenly like it wasn't until we like pushed on the door and people started opening up doors for us that we discovered that like, firstly, they have a good idea. And secondly, like people are willing to help if you just ask. And even this now we're moving into like actually getting it into hospitals. And like, that's really cool. We've had people contact us. You know, I was just on a phone call right before we were talking with a nonprofit yeah. that wanted to put our content in. So like this most recent venture, it hasn't been overnight, 
but it's been this process that's like moved us forward really quickly and made us grow very fast. And along the way, like I've been facing my fears and being like, I'm going to read up on this. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to walk into the room being kind of prepared. And I think that that's it is take it in pieces. Say today, I'm going to read one chapter of this book on how to be a salesperson. Yeah. Literally selling yeah. for dummies is what I'm reading, but I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I can help and you then, with that, girl. I can help you with that. <laughs> okay. I need, I need help there. Or like, just make the first contact on LinkedIn. Like do the first thing, just do it. And then the next one is way easier. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. The whole sales thing, you literally just described me. But no, you, you literally hit the nail on the head. I mean, people just need to be willing to sit down and just ask themselves, what is manageable for me today? Today's all mm-hmm. you have. So don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, I hate to sound dark here, but we don't even know there will be tomorrow. So exactly. why, are you, why are you hanging on the ledge of life so hard, afraid to get in the arena because of tomorrow's challenges? You know, yeah, ask yourself sure. what's manageable today and just do that. And the cool thing is that you pick up momentum and it starts to compound. And the funny thing about compound interest is it grows really fucking yeah. fast. You talked about that hockey stick, you know, upturn in, in a matter of the blink of an eye. So I think that's an incredible answer right there. We are getting ready to transition into the free time five. So five fun questions to kind of get to know you a little All bit right, on a different level. Okay. What does a purposeful life mean to you, Liesl? What does it mean to live with purpose? I think to live with purpose is to work in the service of others, however that you choose to do that, whether that's in education, you know, helping people out, mentoring your free time, whatever it is you do, find time to work in the service of others. It makes you happier. And I think it leads to a better life. Love it. Love it. What's your favorite thing to do in your free time when you're not working? Oh, um, for sure. Being outside, um, or working out. Uh, it's like my new favorite thing to like be outside, working out, hiking, canoeing, those kind of things. That's awesome. Yeah. You would love Colorado. Yeah. Come on, see me again. We'll get to I know. 14. Well, I didn't get any good, uh, I didn't get any hikes in, so I got to go hike some stuff. Well, it was all business this time. We'll get a little bit of play in next time. I know well, for sure. If potential were a physical destination on a map, what would be more fun? the entire tripper journey to potential or arriving at potential in and of itself? I would say arriving at potential would be really rewarding, but I think it'd be really hard to get there. So I think I'd have to switch my mindset halfway through and be like, I got to enjoy the journey. So that's not a very good answer, but I would start off with getting there and then I'd be like, all right, this journey, I better pay attention to. (laughs) You're just keeping it real. I love it. I love it. What's scarier? staying the same or being willing to stick your neck out and doing an unpopular thing that felt right for you, but not having any guarantee as to what that thing would bring about as far as results. What's scarier? I think the, the, the latter is scarier. I'm, I'm somebody who's actually pretty afraid of change. And so, yeah, I'm not somebody who, for whom it's natural to go out on a limb or do the next thing. Please see like me not having a job when I got out of college. (laughs) Yeah. For me, staying the same is very comfortable and it's always very scary for me to try something new. That's an honest answer. And I'm really big on visualization. I think, you know, thoughts manifest into things provided that you're willing to show up on a consistent basis, you know, to put in the work. And so as me being your witness today and my audience being your witness, I'm curious to know where you'll be in six to nine months, you know? And, and the cool thing about this is that obviously we'll be talking before then, but I will follow up in yeah. that time frame. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if you're going to you know, hit some of the targets that you're, you're going to proclaim here today, but where are you going to be in six to nine months? And that could be personally, professionally, however you want to take that. Yeah. I'm always going to take it professionally because when you own your own business, you don't get to separate life and work. Right. But I would really like to be able to have a business started, I guess, started in the sense that like the new amazing world media takes off, that we are starting to be independently financially sustainable. Um, you know, ever widening circles right now is, is not really financially sustainable and we want to keep it going. And so the next six, nine months for me are really pushing myself as a salesperson, as somebody who can start to win over audiences so that we can start to support ourselves sustainably, whether that's through in-kind donations or advertisers, all those things I'm scared of asking for help on. And so in six, nine months, yeah. I want us to be sustainable into the future, um, financially sustainable into the future, however that has to happen, but to get there because this is something that needs to keep going and more and more people are telling us that. 
oh my God. Well, you speak with such great conviction. So I don't see how you don't get there. Honestly, <laughs> time, so I'm super excited. If only we had a time machine to speed up ahead, but you know, that wouldn't be as fun. I'd we'd love to know. Maybe there'd be some tips. Yeah. <laughs> Liesl Ulrich Verber, you're an incredible human being, and I'm so happy to like know you and to, you know, consider you a friend. You know, part of the reason why I do this show is, first of all, I think we're all having a shared human experience. That's first and foremost. Yeah. You know, it may look different from the next person, but we're all feeling things. We're all going through things, and so, you know, what better way than to just be able to talk openly and vulnerably, to you know, really realize how much we have in common and be able to progress off of people's wins and be able to learn off of people's failures and vice versa. And so. Mm-hmm. By you sharing your story today, I'm so thankful because I now feel like I have a little bit of equity into what you're doing. Like, I'm also kind yeah. of along for your ride. I've hitched my yeah. wagon onto yours in, a, in, a, in, a, in sort of a sense. So I'm super excited to see where that goes for you. But I can't thank you enough for coming on and just being open and willing to share with us. This was incredible. And, uh, you know, I wish you nothing but the best. But before I let you mm-hmm. go, I want to know real quick where people can follow your journey. I know everwideningcircles.com is a mm-hmm. great place to go and subscribe. Where can people personally connect with you if they have any questions or if they want to just, you know, see what you're up to on a day-to-day? Yeah. So the best place to find me personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Liesl Ulrich-Verderber. It's a big old name. So um, Liesl, U-L-R-I-C-H hyphen V-E-R-D-E-R-B-E-R. Um, okay. I'm also on, um, I guess Instagram is probably the best place to see what I'm up to at Liesl U-V, L-I-E-S-L-U-V. Um, and then just following us ever widening circles on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just give us a search. It's also on the website itself. And if you are like a cool aunt or uncle and or parent yourself, go check out EWC ed, EWC ed. It's a great place to get kids excited about the world, which is sort of my passion project on the side. So those are the best places to find me, LinkedIn, Instagram, and EWC ed. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Carl. And thank you for helping everybody find their way along in this world. It's good work you're doing. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised. So there's no better time than the present to get into the arena of your life and to start moving towards your purpose and potential. Peace. Hey, I want to personally thank you again for tuning in. At the end of the day, I really do believe that we're all in this game of life to help one another out. And that the best way we can do this is through sharing our stories more openly and honestly. And so, if you like the show, please take a quick minute to leave us a rating, drop us a review, and subscribe for more. Also, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and hear your story. Please head over to carlsona.com slash chat. That's Carl with a K. Sona.com slash chat to book a 15 minute free Zoom call with me, and I can't wait to see you there.